Well, hello there. Hi, like I say in Spanish, buenas, buenas, and welcome to yet another episode of Talk and Talk. I was going to say, I'm so excited to be here. I always am. That is not a lie. The feeling of excitement never beat, especially because the pod is still rather new. But don't I sound like a radio host whenever I say that? It almost sounds like fake excitement. I promise it's not. But I just feel like I'm in a car and I'm listening to the radio. And in the background, I can hear the thank you so much for tuning in to 98.7 FM. This is your host, Mel. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. On to a request from Jess, who wants to listen to Walls by Jonas Brothers. This one's for you, Jess. That's what it sounds like to me. Also, don't know who the heck Jess is. Let's just go along with it for the sake of the pod. Also, if you haven't watched the Walls performance by the Joe Bros in SNL, definitely should. Life-changing experience most certainly brought my brain chemistry back to middle school when I was in love with the Jonas Brothers. All that to say, welcome to an advice session. <laughs> what an intro, what a start, what a lovely time as always. I knew right from the get-go that one of the ongoing series I wanted in the pod was an advice session. Just an open letter moment, I suppose, so that you guys could send in your submissions and I could give you advice on whatever you need advice on in your own personal life. As somebody who is always seeking advice from different people in my life and who will likely always need advice in different areas of my life, I know I extremely, extremely value advice that I need and not necessarily what I want to be hearing at that point in time. I think a lot of the time when we seek advice, it is very much based around confirmation bias. And we are kind of seeking very specific answers from very specific people in our lives. At least to me, I know that I, I in the past have gone to very specific people seeking very specific things because I knew how they would reply. And so nowadays, I just like the very impartial take on the things I do need advice on. So the hope is that today I can be that impartial judge for you guys. And since I know nothing of anybody's lives, <laughs> I can just help you in whatever way I can. So I asked you guys on Instagram. Thank you so much for submitting your questions, I suppose we can call them. I will likely not get to all of them because there are a lot of submissions. However, I will try and get to as many as I humanly can today so that... We can do this together. So, <clears throat> me, 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 just, you know, gearing up for the sure lot of talking and talking I will do today. <laughs> so, want to preface this by saying that don't be surprised if I ask you guys questions back. To me, personally, I find that one of the most valuable assets I acquire through asking for advice is being questioned back. And those questions to me are an asset because it brings forth a level of introspection I perhaps otherwise would not have gone into. And it is extremely helpful to make better decisions, know how I'm feeling, what part I am playing in certain situations, and exactly what work I am putting in or not that might be influencing the overarching situation. And so I hope that equally as I find that valuable, you guys do too, if it does arise. However, for the very first one, I see 
I have been living in the UK for nearly seven years now, but I'm from Spain. This last year, my friends from Spain have been feeling distant and it's hard when I go see them every summer. I don't know if I should move on or if I should keep trying to keep the friendship. It's been hard and I feel like I'm the only one who cares. And I think this is where my first question comes in. And I would like to ask back... What has been going on on both ends that is potentially aiding in the friendship feeling distant? Have you been texting? Have you been calling? Have you been FaceTiming? Is there online quality time that could potentially make up for the time away, both on your end and on your friend's end? Are you the only one calling? Are you the only one texting? Are they the only ones calling? Are they the only ones texting? Are there always sort of excuses perhaps if we want to call them that as far as I'm always busy I can't talk right now and then the call never comes the text never comes the response never comes up I I think those are all very important to perhaps try and initially pinpoint exactly what could be aiding in the relationship friendship feeling so far apart I would then say communication is a big one I have had many friendships in the past where I did not vocalize how I was feeling up until the very end. And nowadays even, I wonder where I more communicative if I would have vocalized more of the things that were weighing heavy on me if the relationships would have been able to be saved if that's how we want to phrase it and so I would say have we expressed these things yet to your friends and more importantly have you provided them with what exactly would ease that distance for you maybe more phone calls maybe more facetimes maybe more chatting maybe more movie nights you know things like teleparty exist where you're able to watch movies tv shows with your friends and so i think that if you vocalize these things it might be easy for them to maybe even realize that this is something that's currently occurring and if you have vocalized these things and there has been no change then it is one of those really hard situations that you find yourself in the midst of where you have done all you can. I would maybe try vocalizing it again. And if nothing changes, then I would say that there is perhaps some decision making to be done. And, and you know, that's that's personally me. I know a lot of people would probably stay in, in those types of friendships, but I myself would kind of question if the friendships... I am keeping, I am keeping because they feel comfortable or if I am keeping them because they genuinely add something to my life. And there is still a sense of comfortability with that. But I think where I personally draw the line, you know, as Mel, and this is, you know, all extremely subjective advice, but I I think where I would draw my line is, am I comfortable in settling for whatever the person's giving me, even if it's the bare minimum, which sometimes the bare minimum is all that's, that's needed, but you also have to kind of take into consideration what friendship means to you and what do you personally seek from a friendship which might be different things for different people and I think that that's a lot of why a lot of friendships don't end up working or if it is genuinely adding something to your life and the people are always there for you and they're giving you great advice and you know they would be there every second of every day if you needed them to and vice versa it's all very reciprocal and you know you have a great time and a lot of fun with those people and so 
I think that there is some level of questioning to be done in the case that all routes have been exhausted. You know, the communication has been exhausted. You've already tried to text more, to call more, to have more quality time together. You know, you're going over there every summer and you are trying your hardest to spend time with people. And if it still feels distant, if there is no change, if there is no response, if there is no anything happening from any of those routes... I, I do think there's there's some level of questioning to be done with whether or not that is a friendship or friendships, plural, that you want to keep in your life. And it's always a very hard decision to be made. But I think a great reminder is always that friendship means different things to different people. And sometimes that doesn't quite line up with what you need or want out of a friendship. And people are continuously changing. And that's one of the biggest ones, too, is that nobody ever stays the same a week is is can be a life-changing period a month much more so a year two years seven years it's a, it's you know it's a long time and so sometimes down the line it just if you're not willing to grow with people and accept every single facet you know whether they're there with you or away from you then it's it's hard to maintain a friendship so I think that's that's where my brain would go to I feel like that's what I would do but communication is is always the biggest one for me next up we have got not comparing my life and experiences to others feeling behind and inadequate this is something i deeply relate to as somebody who didn't pursue college and, and higher education in the traditional sense and rather went to makeup school and i'm now doing social media full-time i don't really have a degree to back me up here and I have found myself in many an instance comparing myself to family members and friends who do have degrees and putting myself down and questioning my intellect and questioning my decision making as an adult because my path did not look the same as theirs. And I think the biggest thing to remind yourself is that nobody's life looks the same. And I think because there is this rhetoric and this narrative of you're graduating from high school and you immediately need to go into college and you need to know what degree you're going into and and you have to follow all of these different steps in order to make it and reach financial stability and then if you want to or if you're able to financial freedom it is very easy to slip into the mindset that you have done things wrong and that everything is going to sort of crumble down because your experience doesn't look the same but ultimately, you know, adulting and, and life doesn't come with a manual of any kind. Everybody is, is trying to make do with the resources they have and with the time that they have. And if your experience looks different to what societally is pushed, then that is okay too. I will say something that has helped me a lot is to first draw a distinction between two different things. The very first one is... What are those things that my family and society is telling me that I must have done by my age, that I must have acquired by my age, that are not things I have or have accomplished and are things that have not happened because it is completely outside of my control and completely out of my range of possibility, resources, assets? And then what are the things internally and externally that are 
important to me, both in the past and currently, that I have earned and achieved in my own marriage. And the reason why I say this is because anytime I have felt behind or inadequate, it's something completely external that is outside of my control. More likely than not, it is other people's opinions or rhetoric of something that has made me feel that way. If it were up to me, I would not feel bad about any of those things because I know what my journey is and I know the things I am out to get. And so it has been extremely important to differentiate the two for me. And as silly as it sounds, I literally make lists. And particularly for the things that are important to me that I have achieved or earned, I will write down things, again, internal, external. Internal can be things you have worked through, whether in therapy or in your own time, whether that's, you know, working through the mental blockages of setting boundaries with people in your life, or for me at least, is working through an eating disorder and healing my relationship with food and with my body and prioritizing yourself perhaps. And in which ways have you done that? And then externally, what job did you get that you perhaps really wanted to? What latest purchase that you really wanted to make have you been able to make due to you having that job? It You start realizing that so many things are interconnected and all of those things have happened because you have willed them to. And I think making that distinction so that you can actively remind yourself that regardless of the back noise and regardless of all the static behind you saying all of these different things, these are the things that are important to you that you have because that is all that matters. It doesn't matter what anybody else says because the only person you are living for is you. And as long as you are making decisions that are good for you, nobody else can take that away from you. And so I think for me, that has been extremely important to realize that I'm living my life for me and that I'm not living my life to please others. And I guess that's that's what I would say on that. That has helped me. I don't know if that's helpful, but I know for me, it's been pretty, pretty life-changing as of recent. Let's lighten this up, shall we, with a makeup question. <laughs> Should I go makeup shopping with my faux tan on or my normal skin? Foundation is hard. I think my first question would be, how much time out of the year do we spend with fake tan on? Because if the majority of the year is spent using the same shade of fake tan, and you already know that that's just a part of your lifestyle, I would say just go with the fake tan and get a shade that matches that. If you spend most of the year kind of going back and forth a few months or with your regular skin tone a few months are with the fake tan I would say you have several options one is to have a shade of both a shade for your fake tan and then a shade for your regular skin tone or something that might be more cost effective less expensive is you can look into Custom cover drops. They're by Cover FX. I know a lot of other brands will probably have their own alternatives and iterations of this product, but it is essentially a foundation pigment, which means that if you have your regular shade of foundation, you can mix in these drops to make your foundation lighter or darker depending on your need. That way you have one standard foundation and a formula you like, and then you can customize that however you'd like with the drops that to me is one of the most helpful tips I can probably give you but it really will be up to you and how much money you do want to spend on foundation because foundation is one of those products that can get pretty pricey depending on which foundation you're using and so that would be my advice also 
very, very key. When you are trying a foundation on, make sure that you are swatching it and blending it both on your neck and on your chest. Those are the places you want to color match instead of your face. Your face, regardless of whether you have fake tan or not, will always be a different color than your body. So always match to your neck, your chest, and make sure that you are looking at that unnatural light. Typically, makeup counters have the worst lighting, whether that's yellow light or yellow-ish lighting that's kind of like ambivalent. It's kind of white. It's kind of yellow. You really don't know which way it's pulling or swinging. So I would say look at it on actual daylight so that you can tell which shade matches you best and kind of go from there. Alrighty, next on the docket, our good old friend of Reading Slump, Book Burnout. Want to read, but just can't get the brain power for it. I was fighting reading slumps a lot once upon a time. Now I've started to look at reading slumps or book burnouts as this is something that my brain is currently tired of, that it simply does not want to do. And I think that regardless of how much you try to read, it simply will not respond to it because you are forcing yourself to do something your brain is actively telling you it doesn't need or want at this point in time. I have had to debunk this at least for myself a lot. There was a lot of questioning to do internally for me as far as why I felt like I needed to read or why I wanted to read so desperately. Was it because I wanted to do it for fun and because it was escapism and because I loved reading? Or was it because I felt that without reading a book on a given day, week, month, I wouldn't consider myself to be a valid reader because of something I had heard online, because I feel like I need to be reading all the time, where exactly is the sentiment of reading coming from? Because a lot of the time, you know, talking to other people and myself also internally kind of analyzing this one thing, I have realized that a lot of the time it's it's a completely external pressure that I perceive that makes me want to continuously read. And so my biggest advice when on a reading slump or on a period of burnout is you simply just have to take a break and explore other things, other hobbies, other things you can enjoy that could fill your time in the same way that reading a book would. Maybe... Diamond painting could be an option, maybe, you know, building a puzzle, building a Lego, watching a movie, watching a TV show and kind of throwing yourself into that fully, you know, whatever it might be that allows you to spend the time in a way that allows your brain to deeply focus on that one thing, I think are, are other avenues to take also. Spending quality time with, with people in your life can also be a good way to heal that burnout you feel towards your passions and hobbies. I find that the more I disconnect from the thing that is causing my brain some level of burnout or stress, the more with time I want to go back to it because I miss it and I yearn for it and my brain is kind of alerting me like yo it's time it is time pick up a damn book Mel and so that's personally what I've experienced with reading slumps I know it's not the same for everybody I know a lot of people will say read a short book read a graphic novel read a manga and those could be other avenues to try However, if that doesn't work, then I would say taking a break is lovely and it can be a great time. 
and I would always encourage people to do it. Another one I can deeply relate to because I also went through this. I am scared of being broke when I'm moving out. And as somebody who moved a year ago and has talked to many people that have moved in the past year and are currently moving as well, moving regardless of what decision you are personally making with either renting or buying, putting down a deposit and paying rent month by month, or putting in a down payment and then getting a loan or paying cash, whatever it is, whatever the possibilities are for you, it is always a big financial decision and more likely than not, a big financial hit for some people more than others. And, and there are so many factors going into it from do you have to furnish the place you are moving into and then obviously getting the groceries and, and sustaining that month to month. But it is a normal process at the beginning to maybe be just a little bit tight and have to rein it back in with the spending because the cumulative effect of expenses when you are moving is quite high. So for me, I know a lot of what eased the worry was obviously looking at finances and, and realizing or kind of analyzing exactly what budget month to month would be realistic for me. I don't know if you've chosen yet or not where you are moving to if you are in the process of moving, but I know budgeting even before I started choosing was a big one for me. How much rent could I pay month to month? How much for groceries would I be putting up every month? And with the light bill and with the gas bill and, you know, the, the cable slash Wi-Fi bill, everything that kind of, uh, you know, stirs up altogether, I, I think it's good to always look at what the landscape will be when you are moving and weighing that against your paycheck and, making sure that it is sustainable for you, that you can provide for yourself in that way. And if not, then kind of looking for alternatives perhaps that could maybe better fit the budget. I think that for me was was a huge one when I was moving to really make sure that I was not doing something absolutely fucking crazy and that I would be struggling three months in, I would say it is always better than what expects. There will likely maybe be periods of time where it looks better than others, but I think that having your own space, having your own sense of peace, your own sense of home, making your own decisions as far as how it looks, what you're able to buy food-wise, and what your day-to-day -day looks like that is not dependent on other people is an unbeatable feeling. And even if, if it might be a little bit rough there for a second, as long as, as you're able to kind of, you know, pull through, I think the feeling is always very, very unbeatable. But honestly, budgeting is, is your friend for sure. Any advice on loving yourself as a plus size woman? I personally have gained a lot of weight and lost an enormous amount of self-confidence because of my mother's death. So any piece of advice you may have, big or small, would be greatly appreciated. This is one that made its way into my DMs because it was obviously a longer response than the actual question box on the stories allows, but I definitely wanted to take a little bit of time on this one. As somebody who is obviously on the journey to achieve this myself, I think I, I've had to work a lot in therapy through a lot of different feelings. I've talked about this before and I've been very vocal about it, but I am currently... 
obviously struggling with and working through an eating disorder, a binge eating disorder in particular. My entire life, I was always on the spectrum of disorderly eating. I grew up in a household where diet culture was very big and a lot of ideals were pushed on me and beauty standards were pushed onto me and, and projected to the point where I have never really had a healthy relationship with my body or with food. And now as an adult, it manifested into something much greater than I think I could have ever thought of or anticipated. And I have obviously gained a lot of weight because of it, and it has been a very difficult thing to navigate. And so because of this very specific, unique thing that I'm, I'm currently experiencing, and I've experienced for some years now, I've taken very specific routes and have made very specific decisions that may or may not apply. So kind of take everything with a grain of salt. I'm just, you know, sharing what has worked for me and feeling better in my own skin and, and continuing to heal my relationship with my body and with food without having all of those external factors really butt into my journey. Because the reality is that social media being such a readily available thing and such a big thing and I think everybody's lives, I've had to block out a lot from TikTok hashtags to actual TikTok creators that are spreading some really dangerous rhetorics and narratives to YouTube and Instagram ads that were immensely triggering because of the wording of certain things. I have had to really protect myself in social so that I avoid the content I know I cannot see because I know it'll be detrimental to my mental health and I will spiral for days on end. And I, at the beginning, I felt very bad because, you know, for a lot of people, this is their livelihoods and people work social media and they have programs and whatnot. And I felt very bad about blocking their content and about blocking their videos and their accounts. But at the end of the day, I, I think that regardless of what is being mentioned online, nobody knows how you feel in your own body more than you do. And when I was continuously seeing all of these people either spread straight up misinformation or tell you that you would feel better a certain route or that you currently feel bad in your body, I, I knew that I couldn't see that because that is not my narrative. That is not my prerogative. And so a, a big thing for me was really separating and unlinking myself from everything that is harmful to me, which I've recognized and I know that it is, and the beliefs that I know I do not hold from the things I actually believe and I actually hold. And social media was a big part of that because it was intrinsically connected and affecting my everyday life. And so that was one of the biggest parts. Alongside also setting boundaries with the people in my life and really setting out what things I do not want to talk about because they can be triggering, what phrasing of things I cannot be subjected to for as much as people would like to because it, again, it is not what I believe. It is something that could potentially be triggering and it simply does not serve my current journey I am on. And it might be difficult because a lot of people simply do not understand, but I think that setting that boundary is so important because, I mean, my experience being Latina, obviously, it, you know, you go to a family function and it is the first thing people want to talk about. And, you know, a lot of times it is born out of concern. However, <laughs> it is important that people know what subjects to touch on or not around you because you have to safe keep your own mental health. Then obviously comes the fact that 
being plus size, being traditionally overweight does not inherently mean that it's an unhealthy thing. I have heard that so many times about this is so connected to so many health issues. And for a lot of people, it might be the case. But sharing my experience, I literally got blood work done at the beginning of the year. Every single stat was fine, except for my LDL levels, which were three points above my, you know, my scale. But beyond that, everything else was within normal range. And so it does not inherently mean that it's unhealthy, despite what a lot of people would like to say online. And so that was one of my biggest parts is recognizing that that fear mongering that pushes a lot of people towards diet culture is not necessarily wholly true. There are obviously medical reasons why you would have to go that route, but that is not the path for everyone. And then also really reminding myself, and this is, I think, one of the hardest ones, and it's still one that I'm I'm trying to, to further understand and allow myself to believe, is that regardless of what your body looks like, you're allowed to take up space. You're allowed to exist in your body, and that is totally okay. And that, to me, has been one of the most difficult things to come to terms with and accept. I think especially when you're so used to your body looking a specific way and again all of these different beliefs and ideas being pushed. It is very easy to denounce your existence or your right to something unless you look that way again. And I know for me again that's a, that was a big one and I know that I deprived myself of many different things at first from eating all the way to not allowing myself to buy new clothing to not wearing proper clothing and being in sweatpants all day all the way to not wanting to go out because I just didn't want people to see me or judge me or look at me a certain way because I was afraid I was afraid of of being called out or being insulted in any way. And so allowing to accommodate yourself in this current image, I think is such a big part of it. And it's hard. It takes time. But for me, a big part of it was allowing myself to buy new clothes and making sure that I have clothes that fit me and fit this body and that make this body look good because fuck it deserves to feel good and that I have pieces to style and pieces that make me feel like that fucking bitch and it was a journey like everything else has been to go out into the world and shop for clothes again because I had to reacquaint myself, which are things you you don't really think of in, in the reverse about who exactly is, is being accommodated, represented, and thought of in the making of clothing. And I had I found myself in the position of, of having to reacquaint myself with stores. Which stores could I go to? Because I knew they would think of me and carry my size and which stores I had to stay away from because they simply did not thought of me, us. And it was such a big part of the journey too because it could trigger body dysmorphia and it can also take a hit on the confidence. And so knowing which stores I feel safe in was a really big part of it. And lastly, 
arguably one of the most difficult ones as well. I mean, everything has been difficult. It hasn't been an easy journey. Therapy has been a big part of the journey for me. So I would always recommend if it's available to you to go to therapy because talking to somebody who can provide you with healthy outlets and tools to understand these thoughts better is is such a big part of it. But I know for me, aside from therapy, reacquainting myself with the kitchen was a big one. If I was eating at all in the past, I was just ordering takeout and it was not a balanced meal. It was not a traditionally healthy meal. So to say, and I know for me, not only was it and it continues to be very healing to cook at home in the sense of I know what the process of making the food is. I know exactly what is entering my body and a lot of the guilt is erased by doing so. But also my body just feels better. And I think a lot of the time when you are putting certain foods into your body and that that has been my personal reality, I know a lot of it made me feel even worse. I was nauseous every day and I had acid reflux every day. I had no energy And that can slowly trickle into a lot of mental health related stuff, or at least it did for me. And so eating at home has completely erased the nausea, completely erased the acid reflux. I have more energy than I used to have in the past. And so all of those things were so, so important and have have genuinely made me feel so much more confident and accepting almost of my own body that it's been a huge 180 for me even though I don't deprive myself of anything because I still eat everything I want it has been such a great outlet for me to cook at home and just make whatever recipe I want sometimes I go on Pinterest and I look up stuff and I cook sometimes I just come up with something on my own sometimes I ask a family member for a specific recipe but I think all of those things for me have been key in making sure that I feel better I don't know how much of that that applies to to this particular case but I hope that regardless of that it it resonates to some extent and and hope that you know that you are not alone in the journey to accepting yourself. And this is the last one, I promise. But I try and remind myself as often as I can that I will never relive these years of my life. I will never experience them again. I'm only living it once. And there is absolutely no reason that I should be depriving myself of taking a picture, taking a selfie if I want to, buying new clothes if I can, and eating a burger if I fucking want to, or eating a salad if I want to, or eating some rice and some chicken if I want to, and making sure that I am documenting in a way this stage of my life, because I never want to look back and think I don't have any memories of this time. I didn't, you know, encapsulate this time frame of my life just because I was not content because it is something I can most certainly work through and so a reminder I like to give myself whenever I don't feel like doing certain things and something that I try and keep as present as I can because again we deserve to take space and exist be loved 
and to love ourselves too. And there's that for that one. A little bit of a lengthy answer for it, but we're moving on to the next advice. And that is how to make selfish choices when your family is always needing help. And I might be biased just based on personal experience more than looking at it as a selfish thing. I would perhaps look at it in a safekeeping way because you also have to make sure that you're okay and that you're taking care of your pocket, your sanity, your mental health, your boundaries, and making sure that you're good too. Helping others is a beautiful sentiment. Been there, done that. I, I started being asked for help at an age that a lot of people would consider to be much too young. I didn't have a stable income or job yet, but I had to kind of step up in a lot of different ways. And very quickly, I started realizing that for some people, you extend out that hand to help and they want to take the whole arm. And it's a bad thing to say. And sometimes it does feel shitty to think about it, recognize it, vocalize it. However, boundaries here are so important with specifically making sure that you are never guilt tripped into doing something you don't want to do just for the sake of people pleasing. No is a full sentence. No is an acceptable answer. And if people ever ask anything of you that you consider to be overstepping, too much, overwhelming, unfair, it is okay for you to say, look, I think I have been incredibly nice and I have helped whenever I, I can and I will continue to do so whenever I can and want to. However, right now, I am just not in the position to help you out with that, sadly. And that is totally acceptable to say. Can people get angry over that? Absolutely, yes. I think it's theirs to debunk, deconstruct, and analyze exactly why they are angry that other people cannot and will not or would not help that current situation be solved instead of looking for other avenues if they are available to them, which is also something very important to distinguish there. And at the end of the day, you can't give to others what you cannot give to yourself. And that is something I try and also remind myself a lot whenever these situations do come up. I don't know why this made me crack up as much as it did, but it did. Help ease the imposter syndrome, please. And listen, been there, done that. I think it is starting to ease now more and more nowadays. Back in the makeup days, it was bad. I Story time for you. I remember I had a, a masterclass with Maybelline. This was years ago. And I was continuously questioning why me. I felt undeserving. I felt that there were people out there who were more charismatic, qualified, capable, knowledgeable than I was or that I could even ever be. And I started questioning the why me, like out of all people, like why am I the one getting this opportunity when there are other people out there that could be getting it and could potentially be doing it better than I could or would. And I was called out by one of the people I worked with at the nonprofit I was working with at the time. And she sent me a DM and she basically was, you know, what is up with this imposter syndrome, Mel? Because it's it's screeching a little bit, a lot, actually. And it made me really think about my own relationship with my success at the time, my job, my work, and my relationship with imposter syndrome and where exactly it was coming from. Very quickly, personally, at least, I discovered that a lot of the imposter syndrome was connected to the word 
to serve. And to serve at times is very connected to the word entitlement. And I felt very uncomfortable with the idea that I deserved certain things just because I was a part of a certain community, a part of a certain job description, as part of a specific something. And I sort of started unlinking myself from that ideal. And instead, I started looking at it from the perspective of you work every day. You work towards things, whether you're a student and you're working towards your degree to pass a class or whether in your professional life you are working towards a promotion or you are working towards a maybe job-related trip, whatever it might be. You work hard for those things and you earn those things because you worked hard. And that for me was a key moment because when I flash back to that particular example I gave at the start of that masterclass with Maybelline, I didn't get that just because I was contacted willy-nilly, like, oh my god, Mel, we'd love to have you. I literally went to every event I could I was invited to, and I networked my ass off. I was like, this is who I am. This is my name. This is the makeup school I went to. These are all of the different ideas and goals I have. I think we'd be a really fucking great match if we work together. And I essentially carved that spot for myself. And through exemplifying that ability I had, I got more opportunities, but I worked for those. And so it really switches your perspective when you start looking at it from how many hours did you put in? How much effort did that take? How much studying or capacitating yourself did that take? And when you start quantifying all of the real active steps you know you have done, I think the imposter syndrome essentially stands little to no chance because you are battling that with the, it's not that I deserve it, is that I worked towards it and really nobody can take that away from you because you put in the fucking work and it's not some abstract concept of it just fell onto your lap and that's kind of what it was. So that is what helped me personally with it. It has been a life altering perspective to have and I hope that helps you out. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not helpful. Listen, I question this one a little bit out of everything else, but to me, extremely valuable advice. My favorite subject matter, anxiety. <laughs> Tools or advice on how to lower anxiety episodes, like taking a hot shower. I don't know. And I will always preface any questions like these with saying, I am no therapist. I am no psychologist. I am only talking about my own experience with my generalized anxiety and what I experience with it, through it, and how I personally ground myself. Honestly, for anything that is relating to mental health, mental illness, I would always say, if you can go to therapy, if that is an, a, a resource you have available to you, always try and go. Therapy can be absolutely awesome. I know it can be intimidating. And for a lot of people, there is a lot of stigma surrounding therapy. However, always would recommend to go to a professional that actually knows how to help you and provide you with tools that are helpful to you personally. However, me as Mel, as somebody who goes through 
generalized anxiety. And one of my biggest things with that is anticipatory anxiety. Worry a lot about the future, a lot of fatalistic thoughts, a lot of negative, you know, self talking down on myself. I find that the key at first for me was to identify exactly what grounded me and what helped ground me. Sensory details. Was it vision? Was it touch? Was it hearing? Was it smell? Was it taste? Exactly what eased my anxiety that I could use immediately upon feeling that that spurt of anxiety and an inconvenient one, if I do say so myself. For me, I, I like to splay open on the floor like a starfish. And that helps ground my entire body, helps me breathe better. Typically makes me cry, but a good cry is great. Crying is always a great outlet when you're feeling anxious. And remembering to take deep breaths if you can. I also, for me, a big one is sound. I have very specific playlists. I listen to when I am feeling very, very anxious and that helps calm me down. Pink noise is also a big one I have found out, especially at night when the thoughts are going a little bit rampant sometimes. Uh, pink noise is great for me. Everything else was a little bit too loud, but pink noise I found was like the right frequency and volume for me. Any of the other ones could also be a good alternative, whether that's white noise, brown noise, blue, green, black. I know there's like a bunch of different colors. Um, definitely would look into that one. And also, as of recent, magnesium, magnesium glycinate in particular, really, really great. It's been helping with my insomnia, which is fantastic. And also to kind of regulate the anxiety. I really don't know what goes into it exactly that helps regulate all of it. But ever since I started taking it, I don't know if it's just me mentally <laughs> really trying to justify that as the thing that's working or if it's just me. Really don't know. But it seems like it is helping with better sleep and actually being able to concentrate because my anxiety at times does not allow me to concentrate. And I think that is the biggest thing for me. And being able to vocalize that to friends and family or to my therapist is huge for me because at times I feel that I need to vocalize it and let it go in some way in order for me to calm down. Alongside that, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the being able to let it go somewhere, whether it is vocally or written, journaling is a big one for me, especially when I'm feeling really, really overwhelmed. I will put my pink noise in the background or my anxiety playlist in the background and I will write everything that I am worried about, anything that is currently riddling my brain or is not allowing myself to go slower than it should at that point in time probably. And I start going and I find that a lot of it is very fear-based for me especially when it starts getting tied to those anxiety attacks and those panic attacks and so I sit down and try and pinpoint exactly what it is that I fear why I fear it and and start coming to terms with the facts that a lot of it is very much outside of my control and I sort of start detailing for myself what is within my realm of control what I can actively do because when I start writing those down, I realize that a lot of it is really not up to me. <laughs> and so there's not much to do on that end, but just embrace the fact that 
there are certain things you can do that is within your realm of possibility. And if there are any of those things you have not done, then it's probably best to do them. And that typically gives me sort of like a game plan and, and eases my anxiety a lot personally. How to be less lonely. This is still one I, I continuously try and figure out myself as somebody who deals with a lot of loneliness. I think it's a very hard one to navigate, especially if you, you know, live on your own and maybe you don't have that daily company with you to, you know, fill in that silence and, and provide some noise and companionship on an everyday basis. I find that giving myself the spaces to go out and interact with the world really help. Whether that's me going out on a walk or me going to a rooftop or to a pool area, you know, very specific to obviously um, what I have available to me. But I typically go up to my building's rooftop and I just breathe in the fresh air, typically take a book with me, take a coffee, and it sort of fills in the time, makes it pass by a lot faster. I think a lot of my journey with coming to terms with the feeling of loneliness has been to take myself on dates when I can, even if it's out for a single cup of coffee, I will squeeze that cup of coffee for as much time as it can get me. Whether that's 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I will sit there. Again, I will take a book with me. My book is my my companion, loyal companion until the end. I will spend my time reading and drinking that cup of coffee or I will take myself out to eat or I will go to the movie theater on my own. And even if I'm not, you know, accompanied by somebody else, the feeling of being surrounded by people, even if I don't know them, is a much comforting feeling than just spending time on my own at times. I also strike up conversation <laughs> with random people sometimes, depending on where I'm at. And if, you know, the situation allows, I have made friends out of the receptionist in my building. <laughs> and whenever I go to restaurants, I will talk to the waiters, I will talk to the cashiers, and I, I try and, and not only, you know, kind of interact with them in, in a very stressful um, landscape, because a lot of people tend to be rude to servers, I, I think also for the sake of, of company and just a little bit of back and forth, it, it's great to get that social interaction in. I will also plan out at-home dates with myself and I will set aside afternoons or mornings or nights and I will say like, okay, today I am trying out this new recipe and I just put on music in the background as I do it or I am listening to my book or playing a TV show or a movie and then I make my coffee tea ritual and I sit down with a book and I make that kind of you know a part of my routine that day or I purposefully go out and I buy some snacks and I plan out a whole evening where I'm going to watch three different movies I fall asleep on the second one but it's fine and I at least have like some sort of plan or I will set aside a show that I kind of want to binge watch and I'll you know buy some takeout or again the snacks and I will make sure that the ambiance is very cozy and that 
that I, you know, I'm making that space for myself to be comfortable with my own existence, like, you know, by my lonesome almost. And that all has definitely helped me out. Also, I mean, probably worse than best advice, owning pets is great if you can't. <laughs> it definitely gives you somebody to talk to or something to talk to. And it's it's quite great. Also, playtime is great. It makes you laugh a lot. So if you don't have a pet, you know, <laughs> putting it out there as like the best and worst advice simultaneously. Getting a pet is awesome <laughs> for the companionship. Okay, for the next one, how to distance myself from relatives that affect my mental health, especially since I care for them. Too personal? No, I don't think it's too personal. You're totally good. That's the point of the pod, that we get up and close and personal. I have also been there. Hi. Personally, for me, I have had to look at it from different perspectives in order to not feel as bad for setting that boundary and for requesting or exerting that distance, particularly for mental health. And the very first thing I continuously think of to not feel as bad is if this were a partner, if this were a friend, if this were a colleague, if this were any other category of human that could potentially fit into your life, would you withstand that behavior? And that has made me personally feel better because I think that there are so many narratives when it comes to family and the amount of things you need to withstand just because a person is family. If your parents behave a certain way, it is acceptable because nobody cares for you more than a parent. And if a parent requests something of you, then you have to do it because they gave birth to you. And there are so many different connections and rhetorics that are continuously, you know, being spread around that while have some truth to them, I think are detrimental for a lot of mental health reasons for many a different people have found myself in those instances. And I have straight up, after feeling better with the idea of doing it, I have explicitly said, and this is where, again, boundaries and communication come in, that because of this set of mental health issues and situations I am in that moment facing, I cannot be near certain people, certain thoughts, certain environments, because in the long run, it does not serve the current healing journey I am in. And I personally have proceeded to explain exactly what those are, because I think to an extent, at least to me, just because I know, you know, being raised by the family I was raised in, that I I know for a fact a lot of people simply do not understand a lot when it comes to my personal journey with anxiety or an eating disorder or depression or whatever it might be, that I have to explain to them exactly what it feels like to be in my body, in my head, and why exactly it is something that other people cannot fully understand unless they live it themselves. And therefore, because of the way that they navigate their conversations and even their perception of what I'm currently going through, I personally have to distance myself because otherwise it is a disservice to me and I need to make sure I am okay. And all I ask is for people to be understanding of that in the same way that I would be if, they, if it was their case. And also that 
they're just showing up in the ways that I need them to show up, which might be very different to the ways they think they need to show up in my life. And I think vocalizing that is a huge step forward. And hopefully they take it well. I, I think it's always, you know, a toss up with with how people are going to react to these things. The reality is that a lot of people are just not used to boundaries being set. And therefore, when they are, people feel very appalled by it. But you can only do right by you in these sorts of situations. And once more, you have to make sure that you're doing good. And if that means taking a little bit of distance from people you care about, then that's that's a good thing to do. That doesn't mean that you care for them any less than you currently do. That just means that you care for yourself equally enough to make sure that you are also at the forefront of your thoughts and, and your decision making. And hopefully they're okay with that. And if they're not, time needs time and hopefully time will do its own thing with them coming to terms with it too. And that is all we have time for today, friends. I hope that all of the advice shared today resonated with some of you. I did see a lot of repeated ones and so I tried to grab for this first advice session the ones that I saw come up a lot. There were different iterations, different phrasings to a lot of these, but I think ultimately I I think it's encapsulated a lot of the advice you guys were seeking in this one. There were still a lot of other entries, so I'll probably just save those for advice session number two, which we will do further down the line. And there is so much to pull from that I'm sure we'll be okay for at least two or three more episodes of advice sessions. We'll see what happens. But that's it for today. Hope you have a beautiful day, morning, night, wherever you are, that life is treating you well and that the mental goblins stay away <laughs> so that it doesn't mess with us too much. And yes, I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. Make sure to follow the pod over on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. If you want more from this human, as per usual, I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash malreads. If you want more book-centric talk and videos and things, and if you want much more than just the books and you want a little bit of gaming, lifestyle, makeup, all the things, I do have a Patreon that you you can go to in order to support the pod and the channel further. You can also find me over on Instagram. I'm hoping to be more consistent <laughs> starting from now on. It is Instagram. I was going to say Instagram.com slash Meloniki, but honestly, you just need the at, right? And that indeed is Meloniki at M-E-L-Y-N-I-C-K-Y. There we go. Love you all the most once more, and I will see you on the next one. Goodbye.